Blog Talk Radio. Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense. Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Vincent Xavier, pastor of New Wine Ministries. It's Friday, TGIF. You gotta love it. <clears throat> Remember those days. Well, what's even better about TGIF today, being born again, is today when the sun sets, although it looks like it's set already here in the morning, very icy cold, the Shabbat, the day of rest. We've had a number of days of rest here in Northwest Arkansas, as the ice has covered the streets and very few people have actually left the house. And I think it's kind of a beautiful blessing to just repose, settle down, rest a little bit. All the noise, all the activity, the hustle, the bustle is just subdued by simple weather. Isn't that absolutely amazing? Things are just different when you're chilling out. But tonight is And we'll begin at the setting of the sun, the Sabbath day, which we uh, love. We love that. Not legalistically, not obligatory uh, in any way. Our salvation has nothing to do with keeping a Sabbath day of rest. Our salvation has everything to do with believing, receiving the grace of God that is in Jesus Christ and obeying his word. And you know what? I think the Sabbath day existed way before there was ever a Mosaic law, and I think there's a lot of wisdom in taking a day of rest. So we're going to be about that business, and we've had a couple of days, some extra Sabbath days because of the weather, or maybe where you're at, it's nice and sunny and hot, and you're just going on with the business. But remember tonight when the sun does set to maybe just get your family together, the the loved ones, and shut the door, shut the world out open up the Bible, spend the the evening doing wonderful, fun things with your family, and let the world be the world. Let the business of the world take care of itself. 
You know, the weight of the world does not hang on your shoulders. All the, all the trouble, all the issues going on in today's world, it's not your, it's not your problem. You have found your way into the ark of God's divine rest and peace and taking one particular day and setting it apart. There's nothing wrong with that. I think it's absolutely marvelous to do. And tonight we're going to be doing that right here. I wanted to share with you today. I've got some articles that I want to read with you and uh, very interesting articles having to do with where we are as far as end time events. But I felt compelled in my spirit to talk to individuals out there today who have suffered with their physical bodies or have suffered mentally or emotionally uh, who are not, you know, uh, aware or thinking properly. And sometimes we even know we're not, you know, it's an interesting thing how we have a knower beyond our knowledge. And anyways, I was reading in John chapter five this morning about Jesus going to what was called the pool of Bethesda. And you'll probably remember the story. And I, when, when we were in Israel, actually went to the place where the pool of Bethesda was. And I want to tell you, it is not a small place. It's a very large area. And the people that were in that area, the Bible is very clear that they were sick. And I'd like to go through the story with you just a little bit. Because we're talking about manifestation, right? We're talking about things coming to pass, not just words anymore, but actual things that are coming to pass. And so in John chapter 5, in verse 1, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, Bethesda, having five porches. And immediately we say, well, five is the number of grace, right? So there's five porches, um, and there is in this place... In these five porches, these five levels, lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. So I want you to get the scene right now. 2,000 years ago, there's an area, it's huge, quite frankly, it's massive for an area where people are surrounding water, okay? Maybe picture a large mall in your area. It was a huge area. And there are five levels or five porches, and people are laying everywhere. They're blind people. They're withered, areas of their bodies that have withered away. They are halts. They they can't walk. I mean, the ailments, the physical sickness and disease in their bodies uh, was amazing. And the reason why they're all gathering at this pool of Bethesda was why they were there because in verse four, it says an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Now, whether this is an actual happening or tradition, uh, people responded and they were there. They really believed that this angel came down and troubled the water. And maybe it's absolutely proof positive. And maybe that's why Jesus was visiting there because he is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. If that really happened, he would know all about it. But maybe he was about to take things to another level. Let's take a look at this. It says that this angel came down 
and, and went into the water and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. So if there's a reputation for this pool of Bethesda and you're hanging out on the porches and you're just waiting because you know that there has been experience that people who have stepped into the water before you, they have been made whole, whether that was their faith or an angel actually troubled those waters and they were healing waters. Okay, we're going to leave that conversation for just a moment. But nonetheless, there are people everywhere gathered together at the pool of Bethesda. They're waiting for the water to stir, and then they, they, they try to get down there. For me, If it were me, I would think I'd be laying on the edge. And yet, that's not the way it works. You'd probably fall asleep and not know that the waters were stirred. Who knows, right? So nobody knows the real process, but that's what was happening. And it says in verse 5, a certain man was there, which had an infirmity. Listen to this, 38 years. This man had a disease, had a weakness, had an infirmity, 38 years. Just a certain man, okay? Now, there's a great multitude. There's day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, people hanging out in this place. The world is filled with who knows how many people all over the world at that time. We're just concentrating on Jerusalem, Israel. And the Bible tells us that there's a certain man. And it says, when Jesus saw him. So the idea here is that Jesus went to this place where there were all these sick people. Tons of them. Now, what led Jesus to the pool of Bethesda? The Holy Spirit. His Father. All right? The Father led him because Jesus didn't do anything without his father telling him to do it or showing him to do it. Jesus was constantly in communion. He was tuned into the father's heart. So he's led now by the spirit into this area where all these people are there, sick, busted, and disgusted. Everybody waiting for the water to stir. Now, when Jesus saw him, this certain man, this person, Lying down, or he, when he saw him lie, he was down, and knew that he had been now a long time in that case. 38 years is a long time to be in that position. We don't know how long the man had been going to the pool of Bethesda, but we know he's, he went there. He wants relief. He wants out of his sickness. He wants to be made whole. That's why he's there. All those people that were there, they wanted to be relieved from their ailments. They didn't want the cancer. They don't want the diabetes. They don't want, you know, the one of a thousand different diseases. They don't want it, right? So they're there. They're waiting. They're, they've got some hope. They're trying. I didn't get it today. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow the waters were sterile, and I'll get there tomorrow. Well, Jesus said to this man, wilt thou be made whole? Be made whole. Do you want to be healed? of your disease. Now, to me, I marvel at this simply because there's a great multitude. This is a certain man. But here's what it tells me, okay? And we'll dive into the story in just a moment. It tells me that God knew this certain man of all the people on the earth and all those sick people that were at the pool of Bethesda. This man had been in this condition 38 years. He had not given up. He was still pursuing relief. 
God knew this man was in this condition because God knows everything. To me, see, that's marvelous. God knows the condition you're in right now and the reason why you're in it. God knows the condition I'm in right now and the reason why I'm in it. God knows all the people in the hospital down on the corner and all the different hospitals in the world where sick people are. God knows who is, he knows everything. And to see, to me, this is what is marvelous about God. He knows the hairs on our head. He knows every thought we think. He knows the motive of our heart. He knows. I mean, this is our God. This is the God we believe in. This is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is absolutely amazing. So Jesus walks up to this man. Why this man? Of all the people that were there, why this man? Well, let's go on in the story. The question is, would you be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man. When the water is troubled, to put me into the pool. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. You could almost hear the frustration in this man's voice. You could almost hear him saying, you know, you're addressing me. Do I want to be made whole? Yeah, I want to be made whole. But every time I try to get into the water, somebody else gets there. And I just can't ever seem to get there. And I got no man to pick me up and throw me in. At the right time, I I just, I'm frustrated. You can almost get that from this man. Well, Jesus said unto him, rise. Could you imagine? Rise. Take up your bed and walk. Wow. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a second here. Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole. Jesus spoke and immediately there was manifestation. Jesus spoke and immediately there was manifestation. Jesus had sought out this particular man. We know nothing about this man All we know is that he'd been in this condition 38 years. We know he's a bit frustrated. We know that he wants to be healed. We know that about him, but we don't know anything else. But God knows this man. Jesus was led by the Father to this man. It's almost like Jesus is on assignment and Father God saying, hey, I want you to go to the pool of Bethesda today. There's a man there that's been in a condition for a long time, and I'll tell you why in just a little bit. But I want you to go and I want you to heal this man. Now, God knows, God sees everything, and God is telling his son, now I want you to go and do this. Now, how many sons and daughters of God are listening to this broadcast right now? How many sons and daughters of the Most High God are on assignment from the Lord right now? How many of you have a word in your mouth that, is, that when you speak it, there will be manifestation? How many of you can hear God say, listen, I want you to go here today. I want you to go to the grocery store today. I want you to go to the mall today. I want you to go to the hospital today. There's somebody here I want to deal with, and I want you to be my vessel through which I'm going to do my work in. You see, Jesus is the firstborn son. 
Jesus is the first, the proton of sons and daughters that would do the works that he did. And here at the end of the end of the ages, in this prophetic third day, as Jesus on the third day at the wedding of Cana of Galilee manifested forth his glory and began his ministry of miracles, well, I believe in this prophetic third day, the Lord wants to once again I believe the Lord once again wants to do the same things that Jesus did 2,000 years ago, but through a many-membered body, not through just one man, but men and women all over the world who will carry the word of God, be in tune with the Holy Spirit, go over here, do this, search out this individual. What an amazing thing. And you can see Jesus just being totally led by the Holy Spirit. I mean, he doesn't wake up and say what he's going to do. Holy Spirit is leading him. And he just knows that Father wants him to be at the Pool of Bethesda today in Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? Now he gets there. He tells the man to rise up, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately manifestation. The man was made whole. Just by the word of God. And he took up his bed and walked. Now watch this. How many of you think that's a pretty cool miracle? I do too. Now, you're on assignment from the Lord today. Okay, you want to know your vocation. You want to know your job title. You want to know your calling. Your calling as a son of God, as a daughter of God, is to grow up from the technon to the huios, to become mature in the sense of you are being led by the Holy Spirit. For the sons of God, the huios, are they who are led by the Spirit of God. So as long as we're children, we basically go about doing our own thing, the way we think it, and all of that. But as we grow in the Lord, there's a maturing of intimacy, of communion, so that the Father can begin to direct us in a way that is important to Him. It's important to Him. Now, we desire this, right? We want to be on assignment from the Lord. Now, this is interesting. The man gets up, and it says he walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath. I was just talking about the Sabbath. Maybe this scripture got into my spirit that tonight when the sun sets, it's Sabbath, right? And so Jesus is actually healing the man on the Sabbath day. This man is totally made whole. Now watch. It says, the Jews, in verse 10, therefore said unto him that was cured, they found this guy, it is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. So when Jesus told the man on the Sabbath, they take up your bed and walk, that was contrary to the law. That was contrary to what these Jews in their tradition or whatever they thought was wrong with this idea, but it was against the law. They were very upset. They'd seen this man walk through town with his bed. Whoa, what are you doing? And the man says to him, because he says, it is not lawful for you to carry your bed. And I could probably get some good cross-reference on that and go and find some interesting background. But the man says, he answered him in verse 11, he that made me whole, the same said unto me, take up your bed and walk. Now, did Jesus know that him taking up his bed was going to bring a stir? You bet he did. Because the following chapters in John chapter 5, 6, 7, 8 are the most incredible 
chapters you will ever read in your life of Jesus Christ contending with the religion of his day and the message and the, and the, and the pearls and the treasures that poured out of his heart. Things like you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. I mean, there's so many treasures locked up in chapters 5, 6, 7, 8 in the Gospel of John and the rest, obviously. But this is the, this is the key. This is the thing that opened up this conversation, this dialogue that follows. But again, in verse 12, then asked they him. Now, okay, what are you doing walking with your bed? This is against the law. Well, the guy that healed me told me to do it. And then they say, what man is that which said unto you, take up your bed and walk? They're not asking about the cure. They're not asking about the healing. They're really not interested about any of that. They just want to know who, who, who told you to take up your bed? Who is this guy who told you to take up your bed? The man just said, the guy that cured me, the guy that healed me. Okay. But they don't care about that, and that's how religion is. Religion really doesn't care. Religion is all about keeping a set of rules, walking by the law. And that's why I said, if you are compliant and you are just a conformist and you do what everybody tells you to do, well, then you would never experience the liberty and the freedom. Jesus was not a conformist. Jesus did not just go with the program. Thank God. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Thank God that Jesus is not a conformist to the will of men. Jesus operated by the spirit of his father, by the power of his father. He did what his father told him to do. He said what his father told him to say. And this is awesome because Jesus is bringing something higher than what people wanted to conform to. Now, these guys are all upset. Hey, wait a second. You're not conforming to our law here. You're not conforming to our tradition, our religion. Well, that's how it is when you get into groups that you are conforming to rather than conforming to Christ, okay? Now it says in verse 13, and he that was healed wist not who it was. He didn't know who Jesus was. That's why I called him sir, right? For Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. So Jesus disappeared into the crowd, after he healed the man. And so now the man tells him, he says, I don't know who it is. I can't tell you. He just disappeared. Afterward, in verse 13, or verse 14, Jesus finds him in the temple and said unto him, ah, so now the man's in the temple. He's not at the pool of Bethesda anymore. He's in the temple. That's a pretty good transition from the, the pool of Bethesda to the temple. Praise God. So Jesus found him in the temple and said unto him, you see, it wasn't done. The healing wasn't done. The miracle wasn't done. God wasn't done with this man. There's something about this man and, and, and God was still pursuing him. And so when Jesus found him in the temple, he said to him, behold, you are made whole. And now the guy knows, he goes, yeah, you're the guy. And Jesus said, Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. So here's the impression. Here's what we now understand. The reason why this man was in that condition for 38 years, maybe he's about 58 years old. Maybe he's in his 60s. Who knows? 
Okay, maybe when he was in his teens or in his 20s, he did something that brought this affliction on his life. Maybe this man had sinned because he said to Jesus says to him, sin no more. Stop doing what you did to get you in this condition. I mean, it's a profound statement. Can you imagine God so loves the world? God sending his son. God finds this guy. God heals this guy. God knows all about this guy. And then there's interference comes in with the Jews, but Jesus finds him out and says to him, now listen, you're made whole. Praise God. That's the way God wants it. But you, don't you go back to the sin that got you here in the first place. Because if you do, something worse than the, what you just experienced for 38 years, something worse is going to happen to you. So he says, go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. And now the guy seems a little shocked, in my opinion. It says the man departed, and he told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. What was he doing in the temple? Was he tempted to go right back to his way of life? I know people that have been in jail that cried out to God, asked God for forgiveness. Intervention came, got them out of jail. They went right back to doing what they were doing before they were in jail. People find themselves in really tough situations. They're all alone. They're crying out to God in in fetal position. They're putting their head between their legs, begging God for help. I'll never do it again. God intervenes. They come out of it. Week later, they're doing the same thing they were doing before. People that have been on drugs, people that have been on alcohol, people that have been accustomed to stealing, lying, cheating, whatever. Maybe they had an addiction of uh, sexual sin, whatever it is. They beg God for help because it brought them into a negative place. God helps them, and they go right back to it again. It's the dog returning to his vomit. It's Peter's message. It would have been better for you to never have known the way of righteousness than after you have known it to go back and be entangled in the situation, the corruption that you were once involved with. So this is basically the same understanding about our journey. And I don't know if anybody has, is out there that has um, you know, under, undergone such an operation of the Spirit of God. Let's put it that way. But God found this man because he needed to finalize this. Okay, I healed you now. Now you're whole. Okay, it's almost as God heard this man's cry. But God allowed this man to be there for 38 years too, didn't he? You see, it just shows the management of God. It shows the sovereignty of God. God knew this man. He knew the day he got into the position he was in. That's amazing to me. This is our father. This is our God. He knows everything. Is it possible that people are in certain situations because of sin in their life? Is it possible that people are dealing with afflictions because of sin? Is it possible? Well, obviously it is. Absolutely it's true. Sin, Jesus said to this man, no more. He's told the woman, remember when they were coming to condemn the woman? They all had rocks in their hand. They were ready to stone her because she was actually caught in the act of adultery. You remember that story. And then they came to Jesus. They brought the woman to Jesus. They said, this woman broke the law of Moses, and she, according to the law, deserves death. 
And Jesus stooped down and he started writing in the ground. And then he looked up, you who have no sin, throw the first stone. And they began one by one from the eldest to the least to drop their stones. They walked away. And the Lord looks at the woman, does no man condemn you? She said, no man. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Stop being an adulteress. Stop being a harlot. Stop being a prostitute. Stop committing the sin that just brought you to the brink of death because they were going to kill you today. You were going to die today because of your sinful life. Regardless of what your excuse is, regardless of why you did what you did, les miserables, no matter what, you did break the law of God, and according to God's law, you were to be killed today. But I've come to give life. I came to give you life. And this woman walked away, and who knows who she really was. It was Mary Magdalene, who, the woman with the, with the alabaster box. We kind of get the sense that this woman went into a new way of life. She was, no, she was not condemned. And so God is willing to heal. God is willing to take away condemnation. Maybe today you're in a situation where you're just, you know, sick, busted, disgusted, something's wrong, you're frustrated, you can't get through. Every time some, the water surges, you just can't get there. And the Lord's coming saying, it's a time of manifestation. I'm going to speak a word and it's going to manifest. I think that's powerful. Sin is the number one killer in the world consistently for 6,000 years. It's the number one cause of death. It's not anything else, not car accidents, not smoking cigarettes. It's none of that. The number one cause of death in the world from the beginning of time till this very moment is sin. And it's interesting that, you know, we, we see like two, two sides of the coin when it comes to sin that on the one side, there's nothing said about it. I mean, sin is just like nothing. It's not a big deal. It's light. I mean, it means nothing. You know, we're saved by grace. You know, sin is just nothing. On the other hand, sin is preached so hard against, which I understand that because, man, you gotta, you got to pound away at it to show what it really is. But it almost gets into a condemnation itself and a legalism and a bind upon the mind and I mean, it could get a little crazy, but what is the truth about sin? Sin is the number one cause of death. It's the reason why all human beings die ultimately. There may be premature deaths from uh, complications here and there, but it's all because of sin. But because all have sinned, all have tasted death. You know, all, all die. You know, in, in Adam, all die, Romans chapter 5. Condemnation came upon all men to death. Jesus came to take away death and condemnation. Jesus came into this world to remove from you and I the sentence of death. And he tasted death for every one of us. And he took our death upon himself on the tree, on the cross. And not only did he come to deliver us from death and condemnation, he came to give us eternal life. Now, how does that work, okay? How does that really work? I want to live, but I don't want to just live here and now. I have a promise that I'm going to live forever. 
in a glorified body that can never die, that can never get sick. I'm an heir of God, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. The Bible tells me as I overcome that I'll rule and reign with him. I'll govern over cities. I'll be sitting with him in his throne as an overcomer. I'll rule the nations with a rod of iron. I'll partake of the tree of life. I'll have a new name written in my spirit. I'll have a white stone with a new name. I'll have the city of God upon my life. I mean, the eternal promises of God, no more tears, no more crying, no more shame, no more any. I mean, this momentary temporary experience on planet Earth is not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. And this momentary light affliction again, is going to be taken over by an eternal weight of glory. So I just want to be okay with the Lord saying to me, now I've forgiven you for what you've done, but don't do it anymore. A worse thing will come upon you. And this is where wisdom comes from the fear of the Lord. So when Jesus says, go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you, he's saying, I've come to save you, but if you choose to sin, there's nothing I'm going to do about that. There's no, I can't do that. And the same thing with you and I. The Lord came to you and I in our guilt, shame, condemnation, and the sentence of death. In all of our affliction, he came and set us free, because that's what he does. But then he says to us, now repent and go in another direction, and don't do what you used to do. Because if you do, I can't do anything about that. That'll be your choice. And if you choose to sin, then you will have to pay the consequences. And the consequences are worse than anything you've ever known thus far. A worse thing will come upon you if you get entangled again and overcome. It had been better for you not to know this way of truth and righteousness than to have known it and turned away. So it gives me pause to fear the Lord again. Manifestation. The glory of John chapter 5 in these few verses is the miracle, the healing, God searching someone out. Is God searching you out today? Have you been in an affliction because of sin in your life? Is God reaching out to you today? Does this resonate with you today? And he's wanting to set you totally free today? Well, wait a second. We got all these things going on in the world. Yes, we do. We have a lot going on in the world. And what good is it to know all of that if you are at the pool of Bethesda and you just can't seem to get healed? What use would you be? Who knows if this man that he found in the temple and warned him really repented and became one of the great followers of Jesus Christ? Who knows? What became of this man? Guess what? We're going to know in heaven. It's one of the rewards. We're going to get to see things that we've never even considered before. But what about you? What about me? How are you doing today? Are you being tempted by sin? Is there something working in your life to bring you back from whence you came out of? Have you forgotten that when you were in that, what happened? The misery? the darkness, the death. You and I have to have a sentence on our lives. I like the way the Apostle Paul put it, and you and I should follow the leading of the Apostle Paul. Paul said that we had the sentence of death in us. In other words, we're walking dead men. We're not going back to the world. We're not going back to Judaism. We're not going back to anything. We're not going back to sin. We are walking 
dead men, dead to this world, dead to the flesh, dead to the demonic. They have no power. We are servants sold out to the Lord. The sentence of death is on my life. I'm not going to do it. So when temptation comes, usually a man is drawn away, according to James, when he's tempted by his own lust, his own desire. He's drawn away. Let's take a look at that in James chapter 1. little Bible study on this Friday morning today. So James chapter 1 tells us this, and we'll just pick it up in verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally, and he upbraids not. He doesn't find fault. And it shall be given him, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavers is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So if we lack wisdom, we ask, but we ask in faith, knowing that we're going to receive it. And again, that's a pretty hard word. And let that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord if he's double-minded. Verse 9. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low. Because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withers the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perishes. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. In other words, the brevity of life. It's temporary. It's a vapor. It's a fog. It's a smoke. We're here today and gone tomorrow. But then verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. When he is tried, he'll receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. And that's really interesting because here, how do we prove our love for God? When we're tempted and we overcome the temptation. Why do we do it? Because we love God. Why aren't you going to sin today? Because you love God. Why are you going to never? I mean, the sentence of death, the door is closed. It doesn't even exist anymore. Your past is gone. Why? Because you love God. Okay, because that offended him the way we used to live. Now, verse 13, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. Mm. For God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempts he any man. We are never tempted by God. We are tried. God will try us by allowing the tempter to tempt us. So it's not God tempting us because who could resist the temptation from God, right? So God doesn't tempt any man, but God tries us. He tests us by subjecting us to the tempter. So the tempter comes, the devil, to tempt us. Now he says, but every man... is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust, his own desire, and enticed. That's why it's really important that we don't entertain the thoughts in our heart, the thoughts in our mind. We don't entertain. We put on the full armor of God. We claim the mind of Christ. We, it's very important because lust is always knocking at the door. Lust is always there. Lust is always there, seeking a way in like a slithering serpent, trying to penetrate, to get in there. 
to hatch its hackatrice or its cockatrice eggs, right? Isaiah said. But again, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, in other words, okay, you bit into it. You're taking the bait. You've been enticed by desire. Now that desire may be something that you want, that you're willing to lie about, you're willing to steal, take by fraud, okay? The temptation, the desire, the lust that you have for that thing, now all of a sudden you're contriving how to get it. And so you do something that's not right to achieve it. He said, once that happens, when lust has conceived, then what does it do? It brings forth sin. So there's the sin. The sin was not in the temptation, Okay, this is a trial. This is a test from God. He's allowing us to be tempted by the tempter. But it never becomes sin until we've taken the temptation and allowed ourselves to be drawn away and enticed and then do something. Now it conceives and it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, okay, now you've indulged, brings forth death. Mm. Do not error, my beloved brethren. Do not error. Don't be deceived about this. Every time we sin, are drawn away by our lust, and we're enticed, and we engage, and we partake, that is sin, and that produces death. That death may be 38 years at the pool of Bethesda as a broken man. It may be uh, an ailment in your body that you've been afflicted with for such a long time. It may be a mental, emotional issue, but it's death. It may not be immediate physical death, but it's a death in some area of spirit, soul, body, relationally with God. You can't have a relationship with God knowing you've just committed sin and you're dying. It's a death. Adam died in the day that he ate of it. See, we forget that as it is in the beginning, so shall it be at the end, and that the end is revealed from the beginning. And in the beginning, when God allowed man, he he tested the man, subjected the man to the tempter, but the man fell away. And look at the horror that has happened. Well, even though we're born again, we're still going to be subjected to the trial, allowed by God to be tempted by the tempter to see where we are. But the bottom line is, for those who refuse the temptation, they're basically saying, I love God and I fear God. Because if I go back and partake of this sin, I'm going to die. Maybe my name will be blotted out of the book of life. There's scriptures here that we need to pay attention to. But again, temptation is not a sin. I like in 1 Corinthians chapter 10... 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says it this way, and I believe it's right around verse 13. Let's take a look. So, verse 12, all right? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Wherefore, let him that thinks he stands. Now, I'm going to let you in on a secret right now, okay? I'm going to tell you a mystery. I had no plan to be teaching this right now. This is for someone. I always apply it to myself. I get the double portion. 
this message is for someone today, and God will disrupt an entire, I've got tons of stuff I want to share with you, but this is the Lord speaking to someone about a healing, about sin, and about temptation. Now listen to verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Wherefore, let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Okay, take heed. Think you're standing? There has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. And I believe that with all my heart. There is not a new thing going to go on in your mortal, physical, human-natured body than has already gone on in everybody else in the world. Your temptation is common. It's not unique. There's nothing unique about your sin nature. Everybody on the planet since Adam fell has had a sin nature. There's some good and evil. There's good and evil, but they're both death, okay? So there's nothing uh, about being tempted that's uncommon. So Paul writes here, there has no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. So in other words, what you're going to be tempted with, it's all the same. But God is faithful. Someone say with me, God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. In other words, the faithfulness of God who subjects us to a trial, okay, he's allowing us to be tested, but he's not the one tempting. He subjects us to the tempter. And he says to the tempter, you could only go so far. You cannot do anything above their ability. So their response to the temptation, ability, that's what we call responsibility, okay, being responsible for our actions. So there is an ability to respond to temptation in a positive way because God is faithful to make it that way. He hasn't subjected us to a trial that is impossible to bear. He is subjecting us to the tests that we are able to bear. Now, it says God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation. So while the tempter is tempting, God with the temptation also make a way to escape. That you may be able to bear it. Praise God. There's a way out of the temptation. I'm tempted to steal. I'm tempted to watch pornography. I'm tempted to lie. I'm tempted to do one of a million things that's common to human nature. The temptation is not a sin. It is an opportunity to put to death the deeds of the flesh by yielding to God, overcoming the temptation because we're able and receiving a reward of character and maturity for doing so. There are people in the Bible that the Bible says they cannot cease from sin because they choose not to, or they haven't embraced the power of the cross or the power of the Holy Spirit, or the power of Christ. 
none of us here are saying we're holier than thou or we're standing strong. No, no, no. Take heed when you think you stand. So in humility, we admit that there have been times in our lives that when temptation came, we bit right into it because we were controlled by a human nature. But what God is wanting to prove now is that we're not controlled by human nature. Human nature may exist and temptation may come to human nature, but we are not bound to yield to it. It's what Romans 6 is all about. And I think we should turn there right now. Let's go to Romans chapter 6 and take a look at how this actually works. And I'm just going to pick it up in verse 1 because it's one of my most favorite chapters in the Bible. I have probably preached Romans chapter 6 more than anything else I've ever preached in my life. And you hear me preaching a lot about end times, but there's been a history before that that this was the center of the gospel for me. I preached this before I was ever ordained as a pastor 28 years ago. It was the first message I ever preached was Romans chapter 6. Let me read it with you. What shall we say then in verse 1? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now we know we're under a covenant of grace. And we know that grace is amazing. And that we're saved by grace. The Apostle Paul asks a question. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And his answer is telling, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin. Let me say it again. This is apostolic doctrine. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer in it? Know ye not, don't you know, that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Did you know that? When you, were you baptized into Jesus Christ? Baptized by water, baptized by the Holy Spirit. You were baptized. When you were baptized, you were baptized into Jesus Christ. You were baptized into his death. We were. Did we know that? Have we thought about that? Did it come to consciousness? Were we aware that that's what was happening? I mean, we know that we were baptized, our sins were forgiven, but did we know we were baptized into his death? Wow. Into his death. What death was that? He did not sin. It was the death of self. It was the death of the old nature, the old man. Listen to how Paul writes this. He's already told us, he asked the question, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin? Have you ever considered yourself to be dead to sin? Okay. Then he asked the question, don't you know that we were baptized into Christ? We were baptized into his death, the death of self. Verse 4, therefore, we are, past tense and present tense, We are buried with him by baptism into death. So the idea that the Apostle Paul is sharing with you and I concerning our sins, the good news is that you don't have to live in sin anymore. The good news is that you 
are not called to live in sin anymore. You're actually dead to sin because you were baptized into Jesus Christ. You went into death with him. When he was buried, you were buried with him. What you? The old sinful you. The old nature, the old man. It died with Jesus on the cross, was buried with him. And that's why it says, therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That, like as Christ was raised up from the dead, as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. This is not a future idea. This was Paul saying to his congregation then and now. This is a present reality. We should be walking in newness of life. What does it mean to walk in newness of life? I don't do the things I used to do that drew the wrath, the condemnation, the death, the sickness and disease upon my life. I don't do that anymore. The thing is, don't toy with it. Don't play with it. Don't be like the man in the days of Jericho that took the gold and the Babylonian garment and put it under his tent, and every night he'd dig it up and play with it. Don't toy with sin of your past in your mind, in your emotions, in your heart, in your imagination, in your thoughts. No. Anytime any of that stuff comes around, be quick, swift to rebuke that and plead the blood of Jesus Christ and to declare, I'm dead to that. I don't do that anymore. No, and you have, you have to, this is part of the battle, right? But the bottom line is, we should be walking in newness of life. Listen to verse 5. For if, if is a huge word, isn't it? If we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. If we are planted, buried with him, by baptism, if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, the death to self, the death struggling against sin, okay, that's why he died, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. The resurrection the Apostle Paul talked about is in Philippians chapter 3. Paul talks about the out-resurrection from among the spiritually dead. Paul already knew that if he died a physical death, he would be resurrected on the day of resurrection life, okay? He knew he was part of the general resurrection from the dead. But what he was talking about in Philippians chapter 3 was known as the out-resurrection from among the spiritually dead. And this is what Paul said, oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. He's talking about the out-resurrection because as Jesus was a life-giving spirit on earth. Remember, all of Adam was dead in their sins and trespasses. All of the human race was dead in their sins and trespasses. Jesus came as the first life-giving spirit. He was a life-giving spirit walking among the spiritually dead, imparting life to whosoever will, right? So Paul said, I want to know that. I want to know what it's like to be, uh, to, like to be a life-giving spirit among the spiritually dead. I want to know how to live out beyond the moral, mortal, uh, human-natured death experience of animated beings but no life. I want to know this out-resurrection, okay? 
So this is what Yeshua is talking about. This is what Paul's talking about concerning Jesus. And then he says in verse 6, knowing this. Now you got to know this. Are you willing to know this? You want to know the liberty and the freedom from the power of sin? Do you want to experience it? See it manifested. You want to see sickness and disease get out of your life? Get this in your head, right? Watch what it says. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. You got to know it. You got to believe it. You've got to allow it. Knowing this, that our old man, our old nature, the old Adam, human nature, the damn sin-natured man, our old man is crucified with Christ. When he was on the cross dying, our sin was on him. So we take that sin nature, that old nature, and we put that on him because he took it. Right? I mean, this is good news if we want it. Now, some people love sin. I mean, that's unfortunate. John chapter 3, men love darkness rather than light. People love to sin, but they don't like the results. And the end result is eternal damnation. But if anybody has ever overcome sin and tasted the goodness of God, it's sweeter than the darkness. I promise you that's true. Now, he says, our old man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed. What he means is that you no longer live out of it. Its power to control has been destroyed. The body of sin, it's nailed to the cross. It's crucified. You got to know this. You got to reckon it. Now, verse six goes on to say that henceforth, that means from right now, from this point forward, from henceforth, we should not serve sin. And I say, hallelujah, because that's my command that I don't have to. I do not have to experience ever again the grief, the hurt, the pain, the death of sinning against God. I have now an opportunity, according to this word, I have a spiritual right to please the Father by overcoming, hallelujah, the one I love, I'm pleasing. This is not about, I can't because I'll go to hell. No, this is about, I love him and I don't want to sin because I've sinned before and the taste of death was gross. Oh, sin has a pleasure for a season. Don't get us wrong. Sin is always pleasurable for a moment. But then it's gone. And the weight of condemnation that comes because the same devil who tempts into sin, as soon as the sin is conceived, he brings forth the death of condemnation, accusation, insult. And he begins to mess with your life because you just gave the devil an opportunity to work in your life against the purpose of God. That's how wretched sin is. I don't want the devil stepping into my life, messing things up, Because I know God's plan is so much better. And so God will allow us to be tempted in different ways. But we have an ability, because of God's faithfulness, to overcome. And never experience the death, the condemnation, or allowing sin to take root. And here, the Apostle Paul's saying in Romans 6, you don't have to. 
He said what? Henceforth, we should not serve sin. Verse 7. For he that is dead is freed from sin. So the real question is, are you dead? Am I dead? To what? With Christ on the cross, dead to the old nature. The body of sin is destroyed on the cross, buried with Christ. Now I'm living in the out-resurrection. I'm living in newness of life. I don't have to sin anymore. I don't have a sin consciousness anymore. I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. I've been bought with a price. The water of the Word of God is washing my soul. Wash me, cleanse me. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cried David. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Wash me in the blood of the Lamb. Purify my heart. It's because I want it. I want to know holiness. I want to know purification. I want to know what it's like to live like Jesus, to be like him. Is it allowed? Yes. Now listen to this. Verse 8. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe, we believe that we shall also live with him. Are you living with him? Are you alive today? Has he come to set the captive free? Has he come to destroy the works of the devil in your life and mine? Were we translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son? Were we taken from death to life, according to the word of God, through our experience, our being born again into Christ, by believing him? Are we living with him now? Are we living with God? Is, is your life filled with Zoe life, eternal life, the zip of life, the zazz of life? Wow. Verse 9, knowing that Christ Got to know it, that Christ being raised from the dead dies no more. He is never going to die ever again physically. Death has no more dominion over him. There's spiritual death. There's physical death. Christ was dead for the sins of the world. He resurrected, and he'll never die again. He's been seated at the right hand of heaven uh, since for 2,000 years, and he's always going to be the all-ruler. Why? Death has no more dominion over him. Now listen, verse 10, for in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he lives, he lives unto God. So he died to sin one time. In other words, what that means is Jesus lived a sinless life. Paul said, I die daily. In other words, they stayed dead to world flesh and devil and human sin nature. But Jesus had the full divine nature that you and I are to partake of. We are partakers of the divine nature. We have that spiritual right. If he doesn't want us to live in sin, he wants us to live in righteousness by faith. He wants to show the power of the cross, the power of the spirit, so that you and I don't have to live the way we used to live. Because the way we used to live was such a disgrace, we're embarrassed to even talk about it or think about it. So the power of God is being realized in our lives who don't do that anymore. And people wonder, why well, you don't, you, I know who you were, but I'm not that way anymore. Now, listen to this. This is the kicker. You ready for this? This is the kicker, verse 11. Likewise, same way that Jesus, 
In verse 10, in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he lives, he lives unto God. Likewise, in the same way, reckon, reckon, reckon ye also yourselves. Reckon means to count it as though it's done. Reckon it. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. Is there anything about that we don't understand? That's a privilege. Do you understand the instruction here? Talk about Torah. This is the Torah. This is the instruction of life. Look at this. Reckon ye also yourselves. It means you have to do it. I can't do it for you. I have to do it. You can't do it for me. Reckon yourself to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Are you alive today? Or are you in depression? Are you oppressed? Are you morbid? Are you kind of worldly? Where are you today? Ask yourself the question. Are you living with the vitality of Christ out of the resurrection power of Jesus? Because that's what God wants you to have. The devil doesn't want you to have that. So then listen to these instructions in verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Rise up. Let not sin reign in your mortal body. (laughs) Woo! That you should obey it in the lust thereof. Don't you obey sin? Pride, jealousy. I mean, these are all the works of the flesh. Come on, let's be real about it. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, patience, self-control. All the, the outrageous, beautiful characteristics of a life that's born again. Why not? You have to make the choice. Listen, here's how it works. You don't obey it in the lust thereof. Listen to verse 13. Neither yield. In other words, don't yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. See, now we're talking about yielding. Who are you going to yield to? You're going to yield to anger? Can it yield to speaking unclean things out of your mouth? Are we going to yield to temptation? Are we going to yield to unbelief? Are we going to yield to depression? Or are we going to have our mourning turned into joy? Our sorrow into laughter? Be quickened by the Holy Spirit right now. Arise and shine from that deathbed of depression. Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon you, and his glory shall be seen within you. Arise and shine from the bed of depression. This is for someone, someone today. I'm telling you right now, by the quickening voice of God and the Holy Spirit, you can rise up out of that darkness. And begin to worship God. Listen to this. Yield, neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. 
as those that are alive from the dead. What dead? The death of living by the human nature, sin. You're alive from death. Your old nature's dead. You're now alive. What's wrong with that? Theologically, somebody religiously is going to come along and say, well, now that's not possible. That's baloney. That's pure hogwash. I think I just found out what hogwash means. We're washed in the blood. This kind of false doctrine is hogwash, pigwash. Come on. This is liberty. This is freedom. And yield your members as instruments of righteousness unto God, for sin shall not have dominion over you. Sin does not, is not allowed to have power over you. You're not under its power. You don't have to obey it. You don't have to yield to it. It's not your authority. Why? For you are not under the law, but under grace. Now let's interpret this well in context of everything we learn. Is grace a license to sin? We'll go back to verse 1. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin? Now, grace is the power, the force that has destroyed sin so that you don't have to obey it as a master anymore. In other words, grace is not a license to sin. Oh, I'm under the power of sin and grace is my, you know, I just keep going to, I, I'm under grace, so I keep asking for forgiveness. No, 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 no. You're not under the power of sin because the grace of God is operating in your life. And the grace of God is a powerful force to give you authority and victory and dominion over everything of the world, the flesh, and the devil. The grace of God is an active, powerful force in our lives, in your belly, there should be an explosion of the grace of God effulgencing into every cell of your body, into your mind, seeing beyond the clouds of despair and the temporary things of this world. The liberty, the victory, the faith, you don't have to sin is the message because you're under grace. You don't have to sin because you're under grace. The law of Moses did not do anything to prevent people from sinning. The law of Moses could not overpower sin. But grace has given you power and authority and dominion. Hallelujah. I really think this is good news for somebody. I'm getting excited. Look at verse 15. What then? He's going to summarize the message. Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not? Here's another question. That's why when I used to preach Romans chapter 6, I used to tell people, just go into the, the office, lay on the couch, and the counselor is going to talk to you. And the counselor, of course, is the Holy Spirit. But Paul, you know, somebody asked, now, don't you know this? Or know ye not? How many times in Romans 6 is he asking, know ye not? Don't you know? Know this? I mean, it goes on, right? Now he's saying, know ye not, in verse 16, that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey. It's all about yielding. Who are you going to yield to? 
Because whoever you yield to, what? You become the servant to whom you yield yourselves, whether of sin. So if you yield yourself to sin, you make sin your master. That leads to death. Or of obedience. Now, if you're going to yield to the word of God, the obedience of grace and faith and the the instructions of Christ, it will lead you to righteousness. So are you going to yield to sin or are you going to yield to obedience? What obedience of this message? Do you want death or do you want righteousness? He's saying it's your choice. But God be thanked, verse 17, that you were the servants of sin. This is who you were. It's not who you are. It's who you were. But you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Now listen to this. There was doctrine delivered to these believers that set them free. See, they obeyed that form of doctrine that made them free from sin. The doctrine of the law of Moses did not do that. The doctrine of the law of Moses, they were still under sin's power. So there's another doctrine beyond the doctrine of the Mosaic law that these people were given that they obeyed that produced this result. And the result is, verse 18, being then made free from sin. Why were they made free from sin? Because they obeyed that form of doctrine, the apostolic doctrine. Remember the early church in the book of Acts fed on the apostles' doctrine? It is the doctrine of the new covenant. It is the doctrine of true grace. It is the doctrine of mercy and forgiveness and atonement. It is the doctrine that the new covenant is filled with that is a victorious doctrine that leads people to liberty and freedom. Now, being made, then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. You see, we're all servants, one way or the other. Either we're serving sin unto death or we're serving righteousness. We're serving God, right? We're serving. I love that. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. In other words, we have a hard time sometimes getting it, don't we? It becomes difficult. Uh, we got some good guys coming out here. Praise the Lord. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members, as you have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness, How many of you have ever done that? You took your body and you presented them, you yielded, okay? As you have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, the snowball effect, iniquity unto iniquity. You were in it, man. You were just flowing with sin, flowing with iniquity. You were right there. You were engaged. You were a snowball rolling down the mountain. Boom, right? That's how you used to do it. You once yielded to that. Then he says, even so now, yield your members, your body, every part of you, 
servants to righteousness unto holiness. Holiness. Don't you love holiness? What does it mean to be holy? In experience, a manifestation of the holiness that Christ is working in us through his teaching, through his spirit. For when you were the servants of sin, do you remember when you were a servant of sin? You were free from righteousness. What fruit had you then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? What was the fruit of the life of iniquity and uncleanness and shame and disgrace? Now you're ashamed of it when you think of it because of the touch of God upon your life, right? For the end of those things is death. See, we were all on the wide road that leads to death. We were all on our way. We didn't know it, but we were caught up in the iniquity flow, man. We were caught up in uncleanness, flesh, old nature, human nature. We were all there, and it was working death. And Jesus Christ came into our lives, and he did something profound for you and I, and then he gives us these instructions. And then he says in 22, but now, this is for you, this is for me, but now being made free. Now being made free, you're never going back. You're not going back into prison, the prison of your mind. You're not going back into the prison of shame, guilt, condemnation, and sin. You have been made free, but now being made free from sin, you're free from sin. You don't have to cringe at it. You don't have to bow to it, master it. No, you're free from sin. Sin's no longer your master. Sin's no longer your authority. Therefore, being made free from sin and become servants to God. See, our humility is that we serve God. Our mind is on serving God. It's not about the sin. We're not thinking about sin. We're thinking about God. How do I serve God today? How do I rejoice? How do I skip forth like a calf out of the stall? How do I thank God? How do I praise the Lord for what he's done in my life that I'm not a prisoner to sin anymore? That the devil can't kill me now. Now that we've become servants to God, we have our fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin always is death. You go back into sin right now. You're a Christian. You're a believer. I am. We go back into sin. It's going to produce death. I don't care how much you claim grace. You go back into sin, death is going to enter in immediately. And it will overwhelm you. It'll entangle you. And it'll bring you into a worsened condition than you've ever known in your life. That's the truth. So we're not to be afraid of sin. We're to fear God. We don't bow to sin. We bow to God. That's the way it works. That's the way it is. And it's something that you and I will have to The rest of our lives go through, but God is faithful. There is no temptation that you will not be able to bear. Just call on the name of the Lord. He'll always make a way of escape. And all that proves is I really love him more than I love my sin. I love him more than I do entertaining demons. I love him more than I do my flesh. And I love him more than I love the world. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Ah, All right, well, let's go see on this Friday. 
think the message is pretty clear. People that love sin probably respond differently to this message. Let's see what it says. Kevin Hauger, morning to all. To those seeking more knowledge, more meat from the Lord's words, you have come to the right place. Morning, Pastor V. Well, thank you for that, Kevin. God bless you. What an honorable thing to say. Cindy, good morning, Pastor Vincent. Good morning, Cindy. God bless you. Melissa Fletcher says, good morning, everyone. Good morning, Melissa Fletcher. <laughs> My brother Thoth, Mark, Vincent is one of the best. Hey, you still feel that way about me? I think you're one of the best. But thanks a lot, Mark. I appreciate the comment. Kathy Bruns, good morning. This is the day that the Lord has made, and I will rejoice in it. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Love you all. Praise God for a happy dance, Kathy. Amen. Keep it going. Kenneth Bruns, good morning from South Dakota's Frozen Chosen. Ten below this morning. God is in control. He is killing the virus. Thank you, Father. Amen, Ken. The virus of sin is in the cold freeze. Hallelujah. Oh, Laquita saying, good morning. Good morning, Laquita. And to our sister, Brenda Torville, good morning to you as well. Callie Reynolds, good morning, pastors. Good morning to you, Callie. David Ellison, good morning. Pray that our pipes unfreeze. Okay. Lord, unfreeze David's pipes. <laughs> Woo! Got to get water flowing through there, right? All right. Sarah Ackerman, Ah, just like with Job, God gave Satan the permission to tempt Job. That's right, Sarah. Sarah says, I found that when you are tempted by something, using the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, just like Jesus did, it's amazing the power it has. For example, it is written, thou shalt not commit adultery and lust after thy neighbor's wife. Or, thou shalt not get drunk on wine, but on the Spirit. It's powerful what speaking life and God's Word does into breaking strongholds. Sarah, you're right on. Excellent. Way to go. What a liberty. Kevin Hauger says, David, may warm water pass through your pipes with no damage. I ask this to our Lord Jesus Christ. David, you're getting more prayer. Amen. Stephen Hayden is there today. said, preach it, my friend and brother. You're on target with everything I've been taught through the years. Thanks, Stephen Hayden. God bless you, my brother. Shalom to you. All right, David Ellison, blessings to you, Kevin. David Ellison, glad we have pecs piping. Kenneth Bruns is saying, David, before your pipes freeze, crack the hot and cold so they drip until it warms up outside and pray, pray, pray. David Ellison says, thank you, Kenneth. I think the water froze at the meter. It's in the ground. Now, my question to your conversation is, what were you guys doing while we were preaching this incredible word? talking about frozen pipes when the most important message in God's word was going forth. I hope you guys got it. Now what you're going to have to do is go back and listen again without worrying about the frozen pipes. What will be, will be. And it's all going to work together for good. For this too shall pass. But the word of the Lord shall endure forever. Just saying. Just saying. All right, that's it of the comments, and I noticed it on our blog talk radio. By the way, something brand new happened today. I don't know if you know this or not, but not only are we broadcasting live on blog talk radio, but we are also broadcasting live on Omega Radio. We are also broadcasting live on YouTube and Facebook, but we are now also broadcasting live on Rev 
media, video and audio. Rev Media, that's our Omega Radio site. What you can do is go to the Omega Radio website and you could tune into this broadcast live and see their video format. And this way, if ever, anything ever goes down somewhere else with Facebook or anyplace else, we now have Rev Media that we will be able to both give our audio and our video messages, which I'm so thankful for. I thought all the confusion on my computer was a bad deal. But it turns out that God used it to do what? Stretch out your tent pegs. <laughs> so, again, the things that we think are bad are going to turn out for good, even frozen pipes. David Ellison gave his, 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 his return. He said, we listened. <laughs> I'm sure you did, David. Praise the Lord. And pass the ammunition. All right, anybody else, any thoughts that you have about what you heard today? The number to call, 818-369-0326, 818-369-0326. Press 1 on your dial pad. I'll bring you right in. But I want to ask you a question. I spoke for an hour and 25 minutes on this issue. It was for someone. And I just want to tell you that this is the best news you will ever hear in your life. You are free. You are free from sin. Does that mean you get haughty? Does that mean we get careless? Heck no. But we're not walking on thin ice, folks. We have been totally delivered from sin's power, and we would never, ever want to taste it again because it's never been good. I would rather enjoy the favor of my Father. I would rather enjoy the favor of my God. Some of the things we get tempted by and challenged by is our response to everything going on around us. I know we get to the razor's edge sometimes, but let us never, ever, ever forget that this good news belongs to the whole world. And we are the voices and the vessels that could bring it. We started out today with Jesus finding a man at the pool of Bethesda. He was on assignment from the Father. May you and I be on assignment today from the Father, be led by the Spirit and hear God or see God telling us, go over here, there's somebody I have interest in. Amen. Sarah says, hey, whatever happened with what you needed prayers about last week, I think everything's working out really well. We're, we're on the razor's edge right now of some things, but thank you for your prayers. God bless you. Amen. Cindy says, amen, free, everyone stay warm, says Denny Sossaman with the arms around you, his arms. Amen, Denny and Sally, all of our friends out there, have a super blessed day wherever you are. Know that God loves you. I would say that probably that would be the message today of everything we heard. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loves you. God doesn't want you, his child, his creation, suffering because of sin. He's made a way out for you. Cry out to Jesus Christ. Accept what he said. 
if he could hear an impotent man 2,000 years ago among multitudes of sick people and send his son directly into his life, he can do it for you. In a hospital, in a prison, in a rehab, in a broken marriage, in a devastated relationship, in inward turmoil, in your sadness and sorrow and grief, pain, Jesus knows you. And he is at the right hand of God in heaven, and he puts himself in us, the believers, so that we can be led into the lives of people and to set the captives free in his name. We carry the cargo of Christ. I, for one, humbly rejoice for my salvation. And my prayer, and I'm growing in this, is that the whole world will know the truth. I know we're in a time of judgment, and I know we're in a time that is going to be accelerating in the biblical narrative, and that means a shaking of this earth. But I have to go now. I'll see you Tuesday. Have a beautiful Friday, a beautiful Shabbat today and tomorrow. We're going to be celebrating Patricia Joy's birthday tomorrow at 4 o'clock in Bella Vista. We're going to have a party to celebrate a pioneer of the faith, a truly anointed woman of God. As a matter of fact, you can listen to one of her teachings right now on OmegaRadio.org. Have a blessed day. I'm Pastor Vince. We've got to go. Shalom, 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 and God bless each and every one of you.